fast. If you thought I went fast last week, uh, I'm going to go even faster this week. So I'm just going to preface this because I listen to, usually I go home and like listen to my, my sermons one time. That's it. Um, because just to make sure I didn't say anything stupid that I need to come back up and then apologize for. Um, last week I didn't. So we'll just count that one as a win. But I was like, dang, I was going really fast. Well, this week I'm going to go faster. So um, the way we take notes at Adventure because of that is just take pictures of the screen. If something pops up there, I say, hey, take a picture of that. Because today we're going to continue pressing into this whole supernatural deal on the Holy Spirit, uh, which is something that, that we need to kind of learn and understand and begin to, to wrap our arms around. So just get ready. So last week we kind of started this off and we said that, that the church in general has a supernatural problem. We talked about research studies that, that were done that show that really almost two-thirds of the folks that are active, go, active church-going believers in Jesus, two-thirds of them don't believe in the Holy Spirit, right? The, the Holy Spirit is real or active, but the Holy Spirit is really just kind of a symbolic representation or a reminder of God's power. And so we said that, that the church, not just our church, not just an organization, but the big C church, that means people like us, the supernatural problem we have is that we don't believe in it. We don't believe in the supernatural. We don't buy into the spiritual. And at best, what we believe is that things that are deemed spiritual or things that appear supernatural are merely symbolic representations of something that we find easier to believe in. I quoted A.W. Tozer a lot last week. This week's sermon is also brought to you by A.W. Tozer, right? Here's what he says. He says, we may as well face it. The whole of spirituality among us is low. And this was written in the 50s. Fast forward to, to now, it's, it's even lower. He says, the incentive to, to seek the higher plateaus and the things of the Spirit is all but gone. We've manufactured delights to substitute for the joy of the Lord, and we've produced a cheap synthetic power to substitute for the power of the Holy Spirit, which means this. Things that are spiritual and supernatural, there's some part of us that goes, it's too hard to understand that. I don't get that. And so what I'm going to do is make something I do understand, something that I can feel, see, and touch, and chase after. I'm going to make that to replace things that are supernatural. I'm just going to tell you what that is. What the Bible calls that is idolatry. I'm going to make something ultimate in my life. I don't understand supernatural things. I can't quite figure out spiritual things. So I'm going to make something I do, do understand in the image of something I believe to be supernatural, and I'm going to worship that instead. That's called idolatry. You're making someone or something else God. You're giving that thing or that person that place in your life. We don't believe in the spiritual supernatural, so we create things that we can believe in. But what we talked about last week is that we read in Ephesians 6 that, that the root cause and the root core of all of the struggles that we face in our lives are spiritual and supernatural. We talked about this in our, in our previous series. We said that, that there is a very real an intelligent and entirely supernatural and spiritual evil that has organized itself against you. Not just the church, not just a building, not just an organization, but you personally. It has organized itself against you as an image and likeness bearer of God, right? Our enemy Satan, anything that images or is like God, he wants to steal from that, kill that, and destroy that. So our enemy has set himself against you. He has specific schemes and specific plans to steal from you, kill you, and destroy you. 
But the thing is this, we read in Romans 8, the flip side of that coin is, while all of those struggles and the things that we face, the opposition and the resistance is spiritual and supernatural, the hope and help that we have when it comes to standing and fighting against that evil that wants to steal from us, kill us, and destroy us, it's also, the hope and help that we have is also spiritual and supernatural. And it's not just a defense mechanism. But according to Jesus, the means that he has given us to not only survive in a broken and fallen world, but also thrive and live out this abundant life that Jesus promises. Not, not, it's not something we wait for until after we die. Jesus says you can live an abundant life now on this side of heaven because of the Holy Spirit, which is supernatural and spiritual. And so at the end of the day, right, our disconnect with the spiritual and supernatural, right, it, it leaves us feeling like this. When we don't have a place for that in our lives, it leaves us feeling exposed, insecure, tired, hopeless, and helpless. Because at the core of your soul, you know this. You know this. And you, you can listen to me say something like that, that we feel tired and insecure and, and anxious and depressed and insecure and, and hopeless and helpless. You know, you know that what I'm saying is true. You know because you feel it, and I feel it. I feel it too. I know that it's there. I know that because we, we've kind of pushed things that are spiritual and supernatural off to the side, it's left this hole within us. And that hole can get filled with all kinds of things. And I feel that too. Anxiety, depression, those are real things in my life that I struggle with and battle with and wrestle with daily. But I love how Eugene Peterson says this. He says, suddenly people are feeling thin and impoverished, and malnourished. And this thinness is driven by the sense that we've left out something very essential, realizing that our spiritual ancestors, like the people we read about in the Bible, had rich spiritual resources that we have to recover. Like there's something in us that when we approach our lives, separated and detached from the spiritual and supernatural, there's something that kind of speaks in the back of our minds and says, there's got to be something more than this. When we read the Bible, when we read stories in the Bible, there's some part of us that goes, how do we get back to that? How do we live like that? And our bottom line was this, not having a space in our lives for the spiritual or supernatural and not believing in the Holy Spirit means this. And I get it, this, is, this can be offensive. This can step on toes, but the truth still remains. Not believing in the Holy Spirit, not having a place in our lives for the spiritual and supernatural means this. You are living outside of the with God life that God desires for you and that Jesus makes possible. It's like, well, yeah, but I believe in Jesus and I, and I believe in God. Great. I don't believe in the Holy Spirit. You're outside. You're living outside of that life. You haven't stepped fully into that space. And so that's what we're looking to correct. Last week I said that things might get weird. And here's what I mean by that. If I add some comfort, right? Uh, what, what's going to get weird is this. We're going to learn as a church, how to create and carve out space in our lives for the spiritual and the supernatural. And I'll be honest with you, that will probably feel weird and strange to some of us. It'll feel like you're walking on the moon, right? It'll feel like you're living on a different planet. And I can remember even going through some of that stuff in my own life, right? Because I under-spiritualize things almost to a fault. I try to figure out what's real, rational, and logical behind things that seem not, and when God wants to carve that space out in your life, it can feel a little strange because you start to begin to, to see things and, and begin to, to lean into things and experience things that you've never experienced before. Why? Because you started paying attention to what's going on around you. So it's going to feel weird and strange for some of us, 
But it's something that we have to do. And so to kick off last week, we just asked two questions. What is the Holy Spirit and who is the Holy Spirit? So super fast recap. What is the Holy Spirit? Here's the answer. The Holy Spirit is a being dwelling in another mode of existence. And that mode of existence is spirit and spiritual, not matter and material. We are matter and material, right? Like it can be measured, it can be seen, it can be, it's felt, right? The spirit is spiritual, which can't be measured, can't be seen, can't be felt. But here's what, here's what it says. He has not weight, nor measure, nor size, nor color, but nevertheless, he exists surely as we do. Now I get that that can be confusing. So I want to kind of add some clarity here, right? Think of the spirit's different mode of existence, right? The spiritual mode of existence. Think of it like you would a person and their personality, Right? So a person has a personality. Most of us have personalities, right? The, the spirit, some of you don't. Um, the, the spirit, the spirit, right? Like, like the, the person, right, can be seen. The person can be seen, can be touched, can be felt, can be measured. Their personality can't. You can't measure, you can't see, you can't weigh that personality. Yet both are real. And both are required to make the people in our lives truly who they are, who we are. In fact, you could argue, right, that the intangible personality that each one of us have is actually what makes us us, more so than even the tangible body that we see, right? My youth pastor used to always tell me that that this on the outside is just a shell, but what makes us who we are is what lives on the inside, and that's something else entirely. So the Holy Spirit is spiritual. Spiritual is still real. Spirit is still real. Spirit still exists just as things that are matter, material, and physical exist, right? So that's kind of what the Holy Spirit is. The second question we asked was, who is the Holy Spirit? And here are those answers really fast. He's a he, not an it, right? The Holy Spirit is a he, not an it. He is a person, not an essence or a symbol, right? We said this last week that he has intelligence and feeling and sympathy and emotions, and he can think and he can see and he can hear. He has will and desires, but those will and desires are lined up and in sync with the fact that he is also God, right? But that's where we said last week, like, the more we think about that, it can make smoke come out of your ears, like, because your brain is just on overload. But I just want to say this, like, when we think about the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, it's not a hierarchy, right? It's not like first, second, third place, like, the Father is the most powerful, most significant, gets the gold medal. Jesus did a lot of really cool things and good things while he was here on earth and died for us and saved us, so he gets the silver. And then the Spirit is somewhere, like, he came in third. Good job, good race, good run, but you get the bronze, right? It's not like that. The Father, Son, and Spirit are all equal, right? We said this last week. The Father is 100% God. The Son is 100% God. And the Spirit is 100% God, each separate from one another, independent from one another, but united in their will and in, in their desire. We're going to explain this more today, right? So now that we are on the same page, let's, let's kind of dive into, let's get into what we're going to talk about today. I want to answer two more questions today, and that's this. What the Holy Spirit does and why we need him. Right? We want to answer those questions today. And really, the, the fact is this, like, those questions get answered simultaneously. Because when we talk about what the Holy Spirit does, those also expose all of the reasons why we need him. And here's the truth, church. The Holy Spirit is the difference maker and the defining factor when it comes to truly living the with God life that God desires for us to have and that Jesus makes possible. And I said this earlier, but I just want to make it again. I'm going to say it again. You and I cannot live the with God life without the Holy Spirit. It doesn't work. 
That's not the life that we were intended. That's not the life that God desires for us. That's not the life that Jesus makes possible for us. And we're going to figure out why today. Grab your Bibles, open to John 14, right? We're going to live in John 14, 15, and 16 today, right? So you just kind of open your Bible, John 14. That's where we're going to start. I'll also be up here on the screens. But here's the deal. If you need a Bible, you don't have a Bible, maybe you want a hard copy Bible to take home with you. We have free ones in the back. You can have those. You can take them home. They're yours. We want everybody to have a Bible in their house. So open your Bibles or your Bible apps. John 14, we're going to start in verse 12. Jesus says this. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Let's just pause right here for just a second. See, last week, what we looked at was the, the, the first moment in the Bible where the Holy Spirit shows up. The first moment in the Bible when we see the Holy Spirit in action, moving, doing things, doing, doing Holy Spirit kind of things. And just so you know where that is, that's in the second verse of the whole Bible, right? So Genesis 1 verse 2 is where we see the Holy Spirit show up. This moment that we're looking at today is really the moment where Jesus starts to talk about, explain, and unpack the Holy Spirit to his disciples. Now, just so you've got some context on what we're talking about, John 14, 15, and 16 all take place in and around the upper room where Jesus and his crew were gathered the night before he was going to be uh, arrested, publicly executed on the cross, right? So these are the moments we talk about around Easter when Jesus and his disciples are gathered in the upper room for the Last Supper. Jesus washes their feet. All of that stuff is happening in John 14, 15, and 16. So Jesus, at this point is only a few hours away from being betrayed by Judas, who's still in the room at this point, which had to be awkward, right? Like Judas is still in the room. Jesus knows what's going to happen. Jesus knows what Jesus is going to do, right? But Judas is still in the room, right? Jesus is hours away from being betrayed and arrested, tried, convicted, and sentenced to death. Now, here's what we know. We know that everything that Jesus said throughout his life and his public ministry, everything that he did was intentional and purposeful and meaningful, we know this because when we read scripture, you can see the fact that Jesus doesn't waste words. Everything Jesus says matters. Right? Jesus doesn't waste moments. Everything Jesus does matters. But here's the deal. You and I can also imagine this. If you knew that you only had hours left to live, the words that, that we would say like you and I know this, the words that we would say, the conversations that we had, how we spent our time would take on an entirely new level of significance and meaning. If you knew you just had hours left to live, everything that you had done, everything you were going to, all the ways you were going to spend that time would take on an entirely new level of meaning and significance. So it's important for us to understand this in the, the verses that we're about to read together. In these critical few hours before his death and resurrection, Jesus chooses to spend those, the, the, that time, right, having conversations with his closest friends about the Holy Spirit and what the Spirit will do in the lives of believers and why we desperately need the Holy Spirit working in, on, and through our lives. In fact, in John 17, that entire chapter is a, is a moment where Jesus prays through the Holy Spirit to his Father. And in that moment, Jesus, he, he's not only praying for what's getting ready to happen, but he prays for all of his disciples, and he includes us in that. It's wild when you start to read this. 
But let's dig into some of these verses, right? So Jesus, he starts by saying, in my opinion, one of the most mind-blowing statements in all of the Bible. He says this, truly, truly, which basically would be like us starting a phrase or, or a conversation with amen, amen. Right, so anytime you see that, one article I read said, whenever Jesus starts a sentence with a double amen, what he's telling us is the following words are extremely important, that they are true, and that he has firsthand knowledge and authority when it comes to what he's about to say. So when Jesus starts a, a saying with amen, amen, or truly, truly, you better pay attention. We can essentially kind of paraphrase those verses like this. Listen up and pay attention. What I'm about to tell you is the truest and realest truth because I've seen it. I know it, and I have the authority to speak on it. Whoever believes in me will do the same works that you've seen me do and will actually do greater things than what I've done. Why? Because I'm going back to be with the Father. Now, remember we talked about last week. If you weren't here last week, go back and watch the video. We, we read in Genesis, right, what we learned in Genesis is that Jesus has known the Father and the Holy Spirit forever. All three of them existed right outside of time and before creation. They all existed together. And in creation, we see what happens when the Trinity, right, the doctrine of the Trinity, the fact that the God is three persons, right, that, there are, that this is the Trinity, right, the Father, Son, and the Spirit. We see what happens when the three of them begin to take action, right? The Father is the architect and designer of all creation. The Son is the foreman, right? Who, who calls out what needs to be built. But the Spirit is the actual builder, right? This Trinity, right? The, the Spirit's work in the Trinity was to form order out of chaos. Was to bring form out of the formless. Was to bring life out of things that were lifeless, to bring life to all of creation itself. That was the Spirit's role. So Jesus, because he's known the Spirit forever, he has firsthand knowledge on, on who the Spirit is and what he's capable of, which is why Jesus can look at a room at this time of teenage fishermen and say, hey guys, everything that you've seen me do you're going to do, in fact, you're going to do greater things than you've seen me do. Why could Jesus say something like that? How could Jesus say something like that? Because Jesus knew the Holy Spirit. Jesus watched the Spirit give life to what he spoke to existence. So even though Jesus is mere hours away from this painful and excruciating death on a cross, and his friends, his small group, right, they're all sad, Jesus is almost excited in this moment, because he knows what's going to happen next. So here's what we know. Once again, the three people in the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Spirit, they're going to take action again. And just like in creation, each of them are going to play their own unique role. And just like in creation, just like in Genesis 1, when they created life, what they're going to do this time is create a whole new way of life and a whole new way of living. It's going to be the result. Creation is still going to be the result. There's, before we looked at creation, this is what the salvation triangle looks like. The father desires, his will and desire is to be in a relationship with, with his creation. That's what was taken away, right? That's what was broken in Genesis. When Adam and Eve sinned, when they looked at God and said, God, yeah, we think you've got a pretty good plan for this life thing, but we think we can do it better. That's what sin is, right? When they sinned, right, that relationship was broken. The father's desire is to be in a relationship with his people, his kids, ever since that moment. 
Right? So the Father's desire and will is to be in a relationship with us. The Son does the justifying work on the cross. And we've talked about this before too. Justification, or what it means to justify, is, is basically what it means is this. Just as if we were sinners before we believe in Jesus, and we are broken by the power of sin and death, when Jesus justifies us, it's just as if I'm like Jesus. That's what it means to be justified by Jesus. I'm j- it's just as if I'm like him. Jesus did this justifying work through his life and his death, right? But the Holy Spirit, just like in creation, is the one that's going to bring the reality of a new life. It's going to set everything in motion. Jesus knew what the Holy Spirit was capable of. Jesus saw the Holy Spirit bring life to lifeless things back in Genesis. And Jesus knows, once again, here in John 14, the Holy Spirit is about to bring life to spiritually lifeless people, a whole new way of living. Let's pick up in verse 15. Jesus says this, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper, right? This is what we talked about, you know, back in our, our marriage series, right? We talked about the fact that, that the word for helper that God uses for Eve is the same word for helper that Jesus uses for the Holy Spirit. So this is a clue, fellas. It doesn't mean maid, servant, and babysitter, Right? It's powerful, right? Your wives are powerful. Um, here's what it says. He says, God will give you another helper. That's the Greek word parakletos, which is a fun one to say because you get to roll your R a little bit, right? And what that word means is it means called to one side, one who pleads another's case, an advocate, a counselor, and a comforter, right? Not a servant, not a granter of wishes, not the force, right, that, that you can wield. But really what, what this means is that the Holy Spirit, this helper, is the authentic and powerful presence of God. That Jesus says this, will be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it doesn't see him or know him, right? Pause right here, two things. One, the Holy Spirit is present in those who know and trust and believe in Jesus. It's not present in those who don't, right? That's just how it works. Those of us that believe and trust in Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit. That's what the scriptures tell us. Those that have not believed in or trusted Jesus do not receive the Holy Spirit. So that's the first thing. But the second thing is this. This is really important. So lean into this. When Jesus talks about the spirit of truth, that comes from the the Greek word aletheia, And here's what it means. Objectively, aletheia just means this, what's true? Like kind of what it is, like the spirit of truth. The spirit is what's true. But subjectively, which I'm getting super nerdy, which is how Jesus uses it here, aletheia is not just a a what, but aletheia, that spirit of truth, is a who, it's a he, it's a person. Aletheia means this, and I love this, a mode of life, a different way of living, in harmony with divine truth. So what Jesus is saying is this, that the spirit in the spiritual mode of existence will bring about a new mode of living for material and physical humanity. That's amazing. When he collides, when the Holy Spirit collides with our material mode of existing, the Holy Spirit brings about a harmony, a realignment, right? A reconciliation between the spiritual and the material. And what he does is he roots us in God's truth. And we talk about this a lot. God's truth is this. What God says is good, best, true, and real 
when it comes to your life. That's God's truth. It's true, it's best, it's good, it's how it's supposed to be. The Spirit roots us in that. And through that, we're brought into this harmonious relationship, right? That relationship with God that was broken and severed all the way back in creation is now reconciled and brought back together, right? That, that's, that, that temple curtain that Matt talked about is torn in two. There's nothing now that separates us from God. To just kind of make this really easy, here's what it is. The with God life is a, is a combining of spiritual material by the Holy Spirit that's possible because of the justifying work of the Son that brings about a whole new harmonious life with God the Father because that's what he wants. You realize that the whole reason that any of this is available, the Holy Spirit, or the fact that you can be saved from sin and death, the whole reason that any of this is available is because the Father loves you that much. That's why. Why, is, why does any of this happen? Why are we here today talking about this? Because God wants you to know this. Because God wants you. And because he wants it, it happens. A.W. Tozer says this, Jesus said, I'm sending you something better. I'm taking Christianity out of the realm of logic and putting it into the realm of life. I'm taking religion out of the external and material and making it internal and spiritual, putting faith on the very same level as life itself. And I love that. That's what we talk about all the time here at Adventure, that, that, that being a believer in Jesus, faith and faithfulness isn't just something you do, it's who you are. Jesus put faith out of this mode of religion and doing and rules and put it into this mode of living, right? Like that's why we say being a Christian isn't about rules, it's about relationship. You want to know somebody that couldn't stand religion? Jesus. He couldn't stand religious rules done for the sake of religious rules. That's why he fought with the Pharisees and the church leaders all the time back in his day, right? Because Jesus knew it's not about rules, it's about a relationship. Faith and faithfulness are more about who we are in our being than our doing. Take a look at the next verse. Jesus says this, you know him, you know this spirit, for he dwells with you and will be, get it, in you. This is the moment, right, that Jesus' friends and followers, their heads might have just popped off their shoulders, because no one has ever, throughout history, since creation, no one has ever said something like this. The Spirit of God will be with you. They would have gone, uh-huh, yeah, we get that. We know that. We see the Old Testament stories. We know that the Spirit of God, we know that God's presence would go with people, right? That had happened before. They understood that. But then Jesus says this, he'll be in you. You are where, where he dwells. He dwells within you. And here's what this really means, right? I looked this up, studied the, the kind of Jesus' phrase and the way Jesus said things in both Hebrew and Greek, right? Here's what, here's what this, this phrase, he will dwell within you, means to, to this audience, how they would have read this. It's important for us sometimes in 2023 because we read things through a 2023 lens. There's times we need to kind of hear things and, and read things and understand things from and through the lens of the people that Jesus was talking directly to. Here's how they would have understood what Jesus was saying. That there's a person that's going to be joined wholly to another, and their power and influence, right, that person that they're joined to will be subject. So that the former, right, that's us, may be likened, who becomes like, the place in which the latter, who's the spirit, lives and moves. Right? That's kind of the theological definition of this. How Jesus' followers would have heard this is this. The Holy Spirit is going to become holy and fully, meaning nothing held back, joined to us and us to him. And in that process, when we 
submit to his influence. Meaning this, when you stop trying to run your own life and start trusting God to do it for you, to do it with you, what happens is this, the Holy Spirit makes us more like him. And according to Jesus, we resemble where the Holy Spirit comes from, which is heaven. And we resemble where the Holy Spirit begins to live and move, which is that realm of spiritual and supernatural. When the Holy Spirit moves into our lives, we become a part of this spiritual and supernatural place. Dallas Willard, who I love, says it like this, the real spirit of God is at your side. He's beginning to turn you into the same kind of thing as himself. He's beginning to speak, to inject, right, his kind of life and thought into you, turning the tin soldier into a live man. And it hit me this week. The goal of the gospel is not just to get you and I out of hell and into heaven. The goal of the gospel is to get the Holy Spirit and a piece of heaven into us. Think about that. The gospel doesn't just set you free from the laws of sin and death and get you into heaven. The gospel gets heaven into you. One author said it like this. There's, there's an unseen deity present within believers, a knowing and feeling personality that is indivisible from the Father and the Son. And get this, in such a way that if you, right in this moment, were suddenly transferred to heaven itself, you would not be any closer to God than you are right now. And that should blow our minds. Church, I'll be real with you. The fact that that is true should cause us to worship in this place with reckless abandon. The fact that, that we, in this moment, even if we were, even if right in this moment, right, we were raptured to heaven in an instant, like beam me up, Scotty, right, we're there. You wouldn't be any closer to God in that moment than you are right now. I don't know how we can just go through the motions and worship when that's the truth. I don't know how it doesn't just set us free. So here's our first and honestly most significant answer of what the Holy Spirit does and why we need him. When we believe and when we trust in Jesus, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit joins wholly and fully with our lives, causing a complete and total transformation out of a life of empty religion, right? And into a new life that is fully new, right? Spiritually and supernaturally. It is a new, fully new spiritual and supernatural way of being. In other words, this, the Holy Spirit does not just change what we do. He changes everything about who you are. You read what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, get this, say it with me, he is a new creation. You catch that? How many times, that's a famous verse people throw up on things all the time. It's on Christian t-shirts and witness wear. It's like, new creation, <laughs> now you know what it means. Now you know what it's rooted in. Now you know where it comes from. He's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. It's the same in Genesis. Throw both those triangles back up there. Let's take a look at this. Right? In creation, here's what we know. The father, the architect, the designer of all creation, the son, the foreman, the son who calls out what, what needs to be built, speaks things into existence, and the spirit who is the builder and bringer of life, who breathes, breathes life into lifeless things, that's creation. Now look at salvation. It's the same thing. It's the same exact thing. The Father wants it, desires it, and wills it. The Son works at it, justifies it, makes it happen, and the Spirit is what brings new life. The old has gone, the new has come. You should never read those verses the same way again. Tozer, he goes on to say this, through faith in Jesus, 
there's simultaneously, I love this, an unmitigated push of the Spirit into the spirit of man. There's a getting down of the Holy Spirit into the very cells of the human soul. Those who are in Jesus become the place where heaven and earth meet. We're going to talk more about this in the next couple weeks, but you know the reason that there didn't need to be a holy of holies in the temple anymore? The reason that curtain that separated, you know, people from God, the reason that didn't need to exist? See, the holy of holies is where they thought the presence of God lived in the holy of holies. That's the place in a temple somewhere in a geographical location in a facility and in a building. That's the place where heaven and earth meet. And Jesus says, I got one better for you. How about you are the place where heaven and earth meet? How about that? You don't need a temple. You don't need a facility. You don't need a priest. You are the place where heaven and earth meet. And here's the deal, church. We could stop right there and go, that's good. That's enough. And the truth is you'd be right, but Jesus isn't done, right? It's not me that wants to keep going this time. It's Jesus. Don't blame me. Talk to him about it. He says this in verse 15, John 14, going back there. He says, these things I've spoken to you while I'm here with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Not a rhetorical question. Where are all of the things that Jesus said and the things that Jesus taught and the things that Jesus did? Where do we keep those things? What is it? Not a rhetorical question. What holds those things? Where do we keep all of the stories of Jesus' life? The, thank you, the Bible. There you go, good. I was like, I was really starting to get worried. I was like, our two elders have got some work to do. <laughs> right? So, so if we wanted to learn from Jesus' teaching and be able to remember what Jesus said about how we're to live our lives, what should we do? Read the Bible. Very good. Awesome. We're doing this. This is great. And here's the thing. Here's what I love. The next answer to what the Holy Spirit does and why we need him is this. We can't learn from and be taught by the Bible as Jesus means and intends for us to be, to learn from and be taught by the Bible without the Holy Spirit being present and active in our lives. That's the truth. You might be sitting here going, well, hold up, right? Like anyone can read the Bible left to right, top to bottom, right? That's how it works. And you're right. But without the Holy Spirit, you can't read the Bible, if that makes sense. Anyone can read the Bible, but with the Holy Spirit, you begin to read the Bible because it's a spiritual book. It's not just historical. It's not just informative. It's, it's spiritual. It's in, and because of that, it's intended to be read spiritually. Eugene Peterson says this. He says, scriptures, and this is a longer quote, so just kind of bear with me. He says, scriptures and souls are the primary fields of operation for the Holy Spirit. He says this, an interest in souls, being interested in things that are spiritual and supernatural, divorced from an interest in the scripture, leaves us without a text, without a roadmap, without instructions to shape our souls. He says, in the same way, an interest in scripture, divorced from the interest in the soul, the spiritual and the supernatural, leaves us without any material for the text to work on. And he goes on to say this, Christians must feed on scripture. We don't simply learn or study or use it. We must take it into our lives in such a way that it gets metabolized by the Holy Spirit into our souls where it turns into, it affects our life. Like we said, the Holy Spirit doesn't just change. It's a complete and total transformation. 
It changes everything about who we are. And when we read the Bible through the lens of the Holy Spirit, with the Holy Spirit at work inside of us, here's what the Bible does. It turns into acts of love, missions to the world, healing and evangelism in Jesus' name, hands raised in adoration to the Father, and feet washed in the company of the Son. When was the last time you read your Bible like that? Hebrews 4, 12, the author says this, For the word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit of joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Do you want to know what spiritual reading looks like? That. This is the last time you read your Bible and your life changed. When was the last time you read your Bible and you were cut to the heart? You felt like, oh man, this, I've got to do something with this. Some action that needs to be taken. That's how the Bible is intended to be read. Like I said, it's a spiritual text, and it's living and active. I mean, I'll I'll just be honest with you. I'm not, and you probably figured this out, I'm not that smart. I'm not, right? I was a C student, C's and D's get degrees, right? That was kind of my, my like, mantra, right? I'm not that smart. And the the reality is this. I've read read verses in the Bible. I've read through the Bible. I've studied the Bible. And and when you study the Bible with the Holy Spirit, the thing is this. I've found myself in places where, I'm learning things from the scripture that my brain shouldn't be able to learn. I don't have the capacity for that, but it's the Holy Spirit's going, hey, I'm going to take you to a new level here. There have been times where I've read the scripture in seasons of my life, battling anxiety and depression, where, where, I've read this, where I've read a scripture that I read a week ago, and, and I read it in the midst of this battle, right, when I'm looking at the Holy Spirit going, you've got to help me here. The same verse I read yesterday reads different today because of the Holy Spirit. So without the Spirit, without the Spirit, reading the Bible will be at best informative. But with the Spirit, reading the Bible is always transformative. So I, I, read, I read the story of two uh, different people, right? One guy, his name is, is, is A.J. Jacobs. And he did this experiment. Uh, he referred to it as a year of living biblically. So he, he posted it all on YouTube. It's fascinating. He wrote a book about it. But basically this dude... He read the Bible and said, I'm going, to, I'm going to do everything that the Bible says when it comes to living my life. And you could see the result, right? I mean, he walked around New York City as a shepherd with sheep with a staff. I mean, he lived based, to, based on the rules and religion of the Bible. This guy spent an entire year following every single rule. When it came to his beard, when it came to his lifestyle, when it came to like ceremonial washing. I mean, everything that, that the scripture said to do in the law, this guy did. And the outcome was his life looked like this. But at the end of the year, his life went back to normal. I'm going to tell you a story of another person. Some of you may know who this person is, Kat Von D. If you know who Kat Von D is, just raise your hand. You're the cool people. Thank you. Um, Kat Von D, she's a celebrity. She was uh, on two different tattoo shows, Miami Inc. and LA Inc. She's a musician, uh, author, writer. Um, Recently, I I, I listened to a podcast, and I don't know if you you follow along kind of in some of these really cool kind of Jesus moments. Kat Von D, in the last couple of years, became a believer in Jesus. And in the podcast that I'm listening to, she talked about the fact that she was into the occult and was into witchcraft and was into, you know, the, the worship of nature and tarot cards and, and all this kind of stuff. She says, you know what, I, I just got rid of it because what I realized is without Jesus, all of those things, while they claim to do some good in my life, they were just a crutch. She's battled alcoholism and drug use, things like that all of her life. She's 17 years sober and is a newly made new daughter of God in Christ because she believed in Jesus. 
and received the Holy Spirit. And she said, now, you know, one of her friends gave her a Bible, and she said, I begin to read this Bible, and, and I, this, things, the things that I've known. Her parents were missionaries growing up in, in Mexico. So she's been around the church. She's been around the Bible. She's heard the Bible before, but her friend with the, with the Holy Spirit, right, alive in her life, her friend gave her a Bible, and she said, how have I never read this like this before? Now, I'll ask you this question. Which one of those two people had a real, had a real encounter with the Holy Spirit? The person that just did the rules? Or the person whose life was a mess, and then the Holy Spirit moved in. The person who now reads their Bible and understands, this is what Jesus wants my life to look like. And I would encourage you, you can go search Kat Von D podcast. It'll be one of the, the, the first things that pops up. It's a real girly podcast. Don't judge me for that, okay? Um, but it's awesome. Like, it really is cool. She tells her whole story. And she's got this amazing video uh, up on her Instagram feed of her baptism Uh, And also, she lives in Vive, Indiana, like 45 minutes from here, which I'm like, if she opens a tattoo parlor, I'm there, right? It's going to be awesome. But just a phenomenal story, super cool. And it's super cool because in the video of her baptism, the the people that attended that day, the people that walked into the doors of the church that day, they all looked like her. And yet they were in that room hearing about Jesus, and all of them had big smiles on their face. Like, how awesome is that, that her life, this dude lived lived a, a year biblically based on the rules of the Bible, at the end of that year, his life didn't change at all, nor did anyone else's around him. But Kat Von D had this real encounter with the Holy Spirit. And not only has her life changed, but now the people around her, their lives are changing because that's what the Holy Spirit does. So let's kind of land the plane here, right? John 16, flip over one chapter, starting in verse 5. This is from the New Living Translation, and the reason I'm using a different one is because, honestly, this one is a little easier to understand, right? Jesus says this to his crew. Again, knowing where he is, hours away from being arrested, he says, I'm going away to the one who sent me. And not, of, not one of you is asking me where I'm going. Instead, you're sad because of what I've told you. Like Jesus is looking at him going, can you see guys why I'm excited? Why I'm excited about what's going to Like Jesus is, there's a part of him that's looking forward to being crucified, being buried in a tomb for three days, coming back to life and going home to, see, to, to be with his father, right? And he's looking at his guys going, how come you can't get your heads around this? He said, you're grieving because of what I've told you. But get this. The fact is this. It is best for you that I go away, because if I don't, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, won't come. But if I do go away, I'll send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. See, he says this, the world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Righteousness is available. Why? Because I go to the Father. And what Jesus does, right? I just want you to know what Jesus does in the presence of the Father. Like Jesus, in the presence of the Father, when, when, when God hears about us, even though we are sinners and continue to sin, when we are saved by Jesus, what Jesus does is, look, is he looks to the Father and, and says, hey, listen, I know they sinned, but they're mine. And God goes, cool. Good with it. Good with them. They're, they're yours. They're good. When, when, when the Bible tells us that when God looks at sinners, instead of seeing our sin, he sees his son because of what his son has done. He says, I'm going to my father. I'm going to make sure I'm going to remind my father who you are. I'll tell your story. He says, righteousness is available because I go to the father and you'll see me no more. Judgment will come because the ruler of this world, our enemy, has already been judged. He's already lost. He's just trying to take as many people down with him as possible. And then Jesus says this, if you skip down a few verses, he says, there's so much more I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. But when the spirit of truth comes, he'll guide you into all truth. All that belongs to the Father is mine. This is why I've said the spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. Here's the deal, church, as we wrap up today. Nothing, not one thing that I have done or said today 
nothing that I can or will do or say next week or next year, nothing that happens on this stage, in this facility, in life groups, in homes, in study groups, in kids' ministry, in student ministry, in elders' meetings, nothing that we do in this place has the power or ability to save anyone. It doesn't. I might be able to hold your attention for a few minutes. Some of you wish it was a few less minutes, right, each Sunday. I can do that, right? I can do that. I can hold your attention for a few minutes. But you know where my power and my ability and my influence and my authority ends? The parking lot. Because as soon as you walk out of those doors, I have no power and authority in your life. You can do as you please. But it's not just me, nobody in here. No one in this place is big enough, strong enough, or has the power or authority to take on, care for, shape, change, or influence, or handle anyone else's eternity. The reason that any of us are here today in this building, that anyone in our lives, anyone throughout history, has come to a place where they have chosen to trust and follow Jesus is because, as Jesus says here, the Holy Spirit makes it happen. What does the Holy Spirit do? Why do we desperately need the Holy Spirit? Here's our third answer. He convicts us of the sin in our lives. He reveals the righteousness of God that's available to us through faith in Jesus. And he reminds us of the truth and the reality that God is the only one that can and will judge humanity. So I'm just gonna tell you right now, church, the pressure's off. You don't have to be responsible for conviction. You don't have to convict other people. You don't have to be responsible for making another person right in your life. And get this one, please get this one. You are not responsible for judgment. Some of you are like, dang it. It's not up to you. It's not up to me. That's the Holy Spirit's territory, so back off. You and I, being saved by grace through faith, has nothing to do with our status or our ability or our capability. It has everything to do, like we said, with the desires of the Father to be in a relationship with you, the work of the Son to justify us and defeat sin and death, and the power of the Holy Spirit to transform us at our core. Because of that, we don't have to try to secure our own salvation or anyone else's salvation. That's not your area of responsibility. That's not something you can do or I can do. That's why at Adventure we always say we exist. That's the reason our why exists. We exist to create opportunities for people to come as they are and become all that God desires them to be. We don't say we exist to make people become all that God desires them because we can't do that. That's not who we are. I can't make you become anything. Attending a church service can't make you become anything. Attending a Bible study can't make you become anything. But here's what I can do. Here's what you can do. Here's what you are responsible for. Hear me when I say this. Here's what you are called and commissioned by Jesus to do. Your responsibility is this. Get people and Jesus in the same room so that the Holy Spirit can work things out in them, in you, in us, through us, that's your job. Your job is not to be Jesus, but to get people in the same room with him. And let me tell you where that is, because the Holy Spirit is at work in you. That can be anywhere. It could be in an office conference room. It could be at a table at a Starbucks. It could be in your living room. It could be on a carpool ride home from school. It could be at lunch. It could be in a church. It doesn't matter. The Holy Spirit works in you and through you, getting people in the same room with Jesus. When they get in the room with you, Jesus is already in the room. Get them in the same room with Jesus. Here's the other thing I would say. 
your story, the story of your encounter with the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit transformed your life, no one can argue with that. Where are they looking at you go, that didn't happen? But did. You're, you're not responsible for judging people, for creating righteous people, for convicting people. You're responsible to get Jesus and people in the same room, and you do that by telling your story. The story that nobody can argue with. The Holy Spirit will do the rest. Just take it easy. I'm going to close with this, the rest of, of 2 Corinthians 5. And I love this because I think it sums it up perfect. It says this. Paul says, all of this, everything that we've talked about today, all of this is from the Father, the desires of the Father, who through Christ, the justifying work of the Son, has reconciled us to himself, but has given us, this is your responsibility, the ministry of reconciliation. To get people in Jesus in the room together. And that is in, in, in Christ, God, not us, he reconciles the world to himself. That's not your responsibility. Your responsibility is not to do the work of reconciliation, but just to get people in Jesus in the same room, right? God will take care of the rest. Not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. We're just the messengers. What's that message? Your testimony. You don't have to be able to recite scripture forwards and backwards. Your job is just to share your story. Paul says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through us by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Here's what that looks like. You begin to recognize that God does love you. Not only does he love you, he likes you. Yes, you, even with your past, even with your present, all the mistakes you made, he desires you. The son died for you. He lived a perfect life, died a perfect death, and was resurrected for you so that the Spirit can make you something new. That's what's on the table today, church. What does the Holy Spirit do? That. Why do we need him? That. I'm gonna pray for us. If you wanna to, to join our church, I'll be down front. We can talk about what it means to, to join this family. If you want today to say yes to Jesus for the first time or, or today, you just need prayer. I'd love to pray with you down front as we worship together. But let's stand together. Let's stand up. I'm gonna pray for us that we're gonna worship and we're gonna go out of this place or into second hour, wherever we go next. My prayer is this, that you would go out of this place knowing not just, not just who you are, but whose you are but also that you would know who you are in a whole new way. That you are the place where heaven and earth meet. And the reason that you are that place is because God wanted it to be like that. The Son made it possible and the Holy Spirit makes it real. You have an opportunity today to step into the with God life, some of us for the first time in a whole new way, in a real way, and that's my prayer. So let's pray together. Jesus, we pray today that you that we would see that, 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 that the work that, that you have done and the desire of your Father, the heart of your Father, and, and what the Spirit does is it makes us new creations. Like Paul says, the old has gone, the new has come. And for some of us in this room, that is exactly what we needed to hear, that we are no longer defined by our past. We're no longer defined by our present. We're not defined by the mistake we made last night. But Father, now when you see us, you see your Son. So Holy Spirit, what I pray today is that you would make us alive again that our worship would never look the same, that when we read the Bible, it would never be the same, that when we have conversations with the folks at work or at school, wherever we go, we recognize that that is an opportunity to get people and you in the same room. Move in us, move through us, create something new in us, bring new life to old dead things. Jesus, we love you. We pray all this in your name. Amen.